Do you like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor of being able to sort of formulate policies for a large number of newspapers in every state of Australia? Well, there's only one honest answer to that, of course, and that's yes. Of course one enjoys the feeling of power. The newspaper can create great controversies, stir up uh, arguments within the community, discussion, it can throw light on injustices, just as it can do the opposite. It can hide things uh, and be a great power for evil. It's not a perfect system, obviously, but can you think of a better one? Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Murdocracy, a podcast that keeps an eye on the news and influence of News Corp, the most influential media company in the Western world. I'm Cam Wilson. And I'm Sammy Shaw. Sammy. How are your eyes? Um, uh, well, they are working now, which Ooh. is a huge, huge change from basically most of my life. I've been wearing glass spectacles since I was six years old. And now, thanks to the miracles of modern science, I no longer need to do that. I can wow. just roam around with naked eyes like, like it's some kind of pervert. Are people finding, like, are people in your life finding it hard to adjust to oh, so you strange. without glasses? So strange. My daughter keeps freaking out because she says <laughs> my eyes are too big now because my my glasses used to shrink them, obviously, because the refraction. Yeah. Um, and everyone else around me, they, they do a lot of that thing where I, I went to a comedy club and there's a bunch of comedians and they all were looking at me. And a bunch of them came up turn by turn individually and they'd be like, did you shave? And I'm like, dude, you can see the beard on my face. Like, really? That's the change you think happened here? So, you know, people are attentive, but not as attentive as you think they are. What is there anything that you're looking forward to doing now that you don't have glasses? Give us a bit of perspective. like Because I know you had very, very bad yeah. vision. What are the things that like having bad vision like that stop you from doing? Well, I mean, okay, look, there's a few things that it turns out I can't ever do again anyway, which are bungee jumping, skydiving, and high-impact sports that are getting punched in the face. And that's largely because uh. my retina is so stretched from having weak eyesight my whole life that those are out for me. You, but, and you, you know, were really into all three of those. As you know, I'm a hardcore extreme sports person, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, the things that I'm like, okay, it's a little stuff, man. It's putting on, it's like not having glasses fogging up when you put a face mask mm. on. Oh, yeah, it's, that's, um, that's such a huge one now. Uh it's just, you know, being able to look in the shower at what you're washing, you know, yeah. it's the li- it's the little things that you'll notice um, end up becoming just miraculous when you're there. Every haircut is not a, no longer a surprise for me when I put my glasses <laughs> on at the end of it. So, yeah, it's nice. Well, uh, Sammy, it's good to hear that it hasn't, it doesn't sound like it's affected your podcasting at all. You haven't lost a step. <laughs> you still got it. So, yeah, who knows exactly. what kind of new insights your, your vision will bring. Yeah, what I'd, if now I'm like, I'm done with podcasting. I'm a TV man now. <laughs> Uh, maybe we can go to vodcast or something Mm -hmm. i don't know we're in room for expansion the other thing i was thinking about this week sammy is are you ready for a new variant of covid oh man can you imagine we just got out of lockdown in melbourne we like this is i i knew it when lockdown ended this time i said you know what what's going to happen is next year again from august to november we're going to go back into lockdown because that seems to be the annual pattern now for melbourne and sure enough we got a new variant is good by the time it comes here it'll be in end like our next august or so and yeah let's do this let's do it we know how to do this now we got this i am just like i i mean i i i feel a deep uh I feel a deep guilt because, you know, we as, you know, Western, uh, a Western society, you know, a Western Mm -hmm. country have not done everything we can to get vaccines into places like the global South, into Africa. And, you know, I mean, Queensland, right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and like, that's where the, you know, that's where the variant is coming from. But also it means that now like all these countries 
are shutting their doors to African countries. And it's just, you know, we, like, you know, Australia is one of the richest nations in the world. We started off with our vaccine rollout really slow. We've caught up and now we're one of the more vaccinated countries in the world. So that's great. But then we've got like, you know, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which Mm -hmm. kind of everyone started to turn their nose up at. And we're producing it here, but we're stopping production at the end of the year. Meanwhile, there's countries like, you know, we've been talking about Africa, but even places like PNG, they've had, you know, barely any yeah, vaccinations. Absolutely. And they are so vulnerable to something like this, particularly a, a new, more contagious variant. I don't know. It's just like, can we there get was, some good um, news? <laughs> there was a really interesting thing I saw online, which is that because of South Africa's experience with dealing with AIDS, their, mm. their gene sequencing skills and, and investment in gene sequencing is so much further than the rest of the world that oh. they were able to detect the new variant has been called um, early earlier than any other country might have been able to detect it. And so they feel like, why are they being punished now for this? Like, you know, by by detecting it early, now they're just guaranteeing that they get locked out of the other countries, the border closure and stuff. But it is also one of those things where the efficiency might be hurting them. Yeah, everyone's in the same sandbox these days. And so I think that, you know, any infectious disease, unfortunately, is going to get out. So I understand that that other countries are going to try and stop it. But I mean, sure, it's only a matter of time. Well, uh, you know, if nothing else, this allows Shari Markson to work on her sequel. So (laughs) that's what the world really wants and needs. (laughs) Now, um, we should, before we kick off into the good stuff, we have Mm. an interview this week where we went deep on a fact check, which was we often hear people say that, you know, News Corp and Rupert Murdoch have a media monopoly or they have more reach than any other media company in Australia. And the question is, is that actually true? And I spoke to someone from the ABC RMIT fact check team Mm -hmm. who did a really, really in-depth look at the entire News Corp Australia empire, their TV, their, their radio, their print, their digital, their social media to try and come up with an understanding to help understand you know, just how big they are. So we'll be going on to that. But before we do, just a quick bit of housekeeping. First of all, thank you to our patrons who have supported the show. It does mean a lot. Um, you know, if you have a few dollars to kick our way, it helps us with hosting costs and other things. Um, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Murdocracy, M-U-R-D-O-C-R-A-C-Y. Absolutely. And I promise I didn't use any of the money for my eye surgery. <laughs> Um, And the other thing is we will be announcing what we'll be doing over our Christmas and New Year's break. And also I'm getting married early next year. So I will also be out for a little bit. (laughs) Yes, we'll we'll have a handle on that sooner rather than later. Um, But we will have plenty of good content for you to feast on over the break. Absolutely. We're thinking about it hard and um, we're going to make sure that everyone has lots of democracy in their ears over the Christmas holidays. Okay, on to News Corp News of the Week. And the first story is, News Corp is going to court. Um, The legal entity that runs Sky News, it's called Australian News Channel, is suing media monitoring company Icentia for breaking IP and copyright laws. Here's some of the background according to Mumbrella's Olivia Krumel. So they said since September 1, uh, a competing news monitoring service called Stream 
has been given the exclusive license to monitor Sky News content. So that means that they're the only one mm-hmm. who are allowed to say, you know, here's if your company was mentioned in our segments. Which uh, is basically what this is. That's important to kind of break that down. That These services, what they do is if you're advertising or if you're, you know, basically want to find out, hey, how many times has my brand or my company or my name personally been mentioned on all of News Corp or all of Channel 7, all of Channel 9, um, these companies do that monitoring for you. Yeah, and they're they're also particularly important in things like politics. So, you know, mm-hmm. when you're mentioned. And also, you know, I've used media monitoring companies a lot in journalism. So I can say, you know, it allows you to take that, you know, rather than saying, oh, I think people are talking about this a lot. I can be like, we know that, yes. you know, critical race theory was mentioned this many times up until the uh, 2020 US election. Mm-hmm. And then everyone stopped talking about it. It allows you to quantify it. So it's very useful. So at the moment, Stream is the only media monitoring company in Australia that can have um, content from Sky News Australia, including alerts, streaming, downloads, and transcripts. But I sent you claims that it qualifies for an exemption under the Copyright Act, which allows them to use copyright material for the service of the Crown, as in they, they have government um, uh, uh, customers. And mm-hmm. you know I know many departments use this as well. And they are saying, well, we can monitor what's on Sky News Australia. So, Sammy, how do you feel about the idea of News Corp suing so that someone can't run a business like this uh, so they know how often they're mentioned on public channels and handing that exclusively to another company? Well, it's bizarre given how very recently News Corp learned a hard and embarrassing lesson on the importance of accuracy in media mentions. Uh, if you remember, the Australian, the IPA, had published a report by media writer Sophie Ellsworth mm. uh, this was back in <laughs> September saying the ABC discusses News Corp and Murdoch 1,700 times in just 30 days. And when the ABC and, and other analysts kind of looked into that, it turns out it was things like the mention of the word Murdoch, which included, you know, Murdoch University, the Murdoch uh, Children's Research Center. It included street names that have, have the last name Murdoch or or just any other thing like that. And so, you know, they were basically quite publicly and embarrassingly pointed out, had pointed out to them that accuracy matters in these things and being able to monitor news um, provides valuable data and valuable information. And for the government as well, that's the interesting thing is that this organization, Icentia, is used by the government, by political parties as well, but also just by government departments. And so this is affecting their contract with them. It'll be interesting to see whether Stream can get the same kind of exclusive contract with government departments and whether this is another move there. But either way, it's, uh, um, you know... I hope Sophie Ellsworth is using them for her next column. That's all. <laughs> I'll let you in on something that I, um, that a dealing that I had with stream, which is I've used the company many times mm-hmm. uh, and probably shouldn't be saying this just in case it does get back to them. So everyone listening promised to keep this a secret. Mm-hmm. I, um, I wanted to do something that was uh, a kind of that, that based on the words that I was looking for. So I was like, Hey, can you figure out how many times this was mentioned? That was clearly something that was going to be quite critical of News Corp. And, um, you know, I I was told that, like, it it would be great if I actually didn't ask them to do that because they didn't want to get in trouble. Um, And Uh, this this was a a while ago before they they signed the contract, but I'm I'm assuming these things were in motion. Mm -hmm. And I guess, like, you know, like this may have just been, you know, I doubt it's a company-wide directive, but it does kind of show that, you know, when you have a utility that can kind of be restricted to one person, you know, a company can dictate who does this. 
it allows them to kind of uh, either put certain conditions on them or at least like have the fear of conditions or that kind of contract being taken away. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the idea that like, you know, this one company now can um, provide transcripts of what is a, a major Australian news channel, which would be so important to their business and would mean that stream to many of their customers would probably seem more attractive because they say, well, we can monitor all the channels and, and not just everything minus Sky News. But that depends on good relations with the company. So you do end up in a situation where because they have this kind of control over it, um, it, it gives them power. So look, I, I, like I, again, I, I'm not sure that that is a, a super widespread thing, and and maybe that was just someone who I was speaking to, kind of mm-hmm. freelancing and, and just trying to you know avoid any unnecessary yeah. trouble. But um, you know these things but have it consequences. Have an effect. Absolutely, yeah. and and um, I think once uh, everyone figures out that you can just get a corporate account on Otter.ai and connect <laughs> your TV to that, then anyway, these companies are going to shut down. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter of time. Indeed. So Media Week's James Manning had a sit-down interview with News Corp Australia Executive Chairman Michael Miller this week, and um, there was a few interesting tidbits I wanted to give to you, mm-hmm. Sammy. One was uh, Manning wrote, some of the changes Miller used to illustrate the new company is that News Corp is now a top five audio publisher and top five video distributor. And he also named a bunch of companies which were, I'd never heard of before, Medium Rare, Storiation, and Suddenly, which are all different content marketing uh, companies owned by News Corp. And he said they're doing really well. It was crazy to me how many, you know, like, again, like mm-hmm. the, the wide array of services that's under the News Corp umbrella. Well, that's the interesting thing. The, the Storiation, for example, and Medium Rare, they're companies I've, I've looked into in the past because their work is really interesting. They do, uh, they call themselves journalists, some of them. They, they do hire journalists. Um, and I know people who freelanced for them. And basically they do, you know, they create media content for corporates, for mm. different organizations, even for News Corp or something to promote, you know, different stories, different publications, different exclusive news, 60 minutes, th- things, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, it shows how Newscope has been able to d- survive so long by diversifying its interests. You know, one of the big mistakes that so many other news channels or or even in media moguls do is put all the eggs in just the one basket. Um, whereas the the multinational corporations that survive longest and survive best are always spread thin, uh, spread thinly across multiple areas, and uh, Newscope's done that well. Yeah, you know, fingers cr- to them, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, fingers in so many pies. Mm-hmm. Um, this I thought was quite telling. A quote: "While News Corp has reached financial agreements with Meta, which is the former name or is the new name of Facebook um, and Google," the quote continues. Miller said they continue to compete fiercely with both of them and others on the advertising front. I thought it was kind of you know like that is speaking to the complexity of this mm-hmm. relationship where they're getting. I mean, to put it bluntly, a shitload of money and, and, and a great service from these tech companies, but they're also competing directly against them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the, um, I was trying to think of an example of this where basically it's the, John Safran's written a book very recently that came out about how Philip Morris and the other cigarette companies kind of basically are very aggressively selling um, vaping now as well. And the idea was they'll get you off smoking cigarettes, but they'll get you on vaping um, because they know that, you know, one thing's trend is going out. So they better be, they better be their own competition rather than someone else be their own competition. 
So this is this is just smart business practices, I suppose. Um, and as a as you know, as a podcast hoping to make some money, we should learn from them. Really, Abs- absolutely. We need to, yeah, we we're getting into advertising with, as well. <laughs> we're getting into advertising, and then we need to come up with a podcast as well that is critical of our podcast for being what it is uh, and own that. You gotcha. See. I, I think that's what they call vertical integration <laughs> in the biz. <laughs> Uh, The final quote that was interesting was that some of the print audience didn't want to lose the curation that comes with the newspaper, have found the digital replica editions, give them best of both worlds. I have seen those um, digital replicas, which is essentially the digital version of the newspaper. So not, you know, when you go to a website, you'll, you'll see the articles. They also have for subscribers. Here is the full physical paper, just in digital form. It's like a PDF you can zoom in on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know anyone used those. Yeah, I'm very skeptical about this one. I'm assuming, look, maybe there is a very large contingent of aged care facility users. You know, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I don't, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean genuinely, you know, people like if you run an aged care facility, as opposed to getting a subscription okay. <laughs> to the Australian, you just get it online, and everyone in the facility is able to, because of reading issues, maybe use the larger fonts and stuff and the digital edition, and that might be what, where the market for this is. But I don't know. I don't know why that's still better than just going to theaustralian.com.au and reading over there. Yeah, scrolling through on your iPad. I'm, I'm not sure. Is mm. I don't think is the most intuitive. You know, the, the the thing that I think is interesting is like there was a really big push at the start of the digital transition in digital mm-hmm. media to have these physical, um, you know, digital versions of physical papers. And, you know, in, in particular, News Corp was actually, and, and, and Nine Papers or then Fairfax were kind of big at this idea yes. of like a digital magazine on iPads, a different app and stuff. And it never really worked out. Like, I, I don't think anyone um, kind of got into it that much. And partly because, like, you know, it's one of those things that um, when you see a big transformation in a in an industry, in, particularly in digital media or in media generally, you'll see people try and replicate the success of a of a, of a previous like mm-hmm. era on the new format. So you'd be like, oh, like people want to use, they want a physical paper on their device yes. but actually people don't people want to be able to have hyperlinks and zoom through things and and go between stuff they don't want to have to like scroll past big digital ads of uh clive palmer's united australia party or whatever um yeah i i don't know I, i'm i'm pretty skeptical about that actually well it's also also interesting when you, when someone you know at at the level that uh, michael miller is it keeps things vague where he just says some mm. of the print audience who don't want to lose there's no numbers there's no stats there's no, no further details there it might just be something like his nephew is in charge of that <laughs> department and he doesn't want to make it look bad you know <laughs> on wednesday news corp held its annual award ceremony yeah it has an award ceremony where it nothing gives... better than giving yourself i know i know isn't that we should do the Murdocracy uh, oh, award ceremony. That is so exciting. I definitely want um, best guy without glasses award. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I got snubbed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe that'll be our end of year content. <laughs> anyway, here's some of the, the standout winners that, I mean, you know, there was a, uh, quite a lot of awards, but mm. um, some interesting ones. Johannes Leek won the Bill Leek Cartoonist of the Year Award. Well, mm-hmm. what, what a surprise. <laughs> um yeah it's it was ma- named after his father he took over as soon as his father died and um and i actually to be in full uh, honesty own a johans league um, original 
That's um, right. What is it of? It is basically when I joined the ABC uh, back in the days of yore, uh, the uh, Johans League had done a sketch of me basically walking into this toilet where everyone's writing like, you know, communism is the best and uh-huh. and, and news and Murdoch sucks and things like that. Like showing the ABC to be like this hot head, uh, hot, hot spot full of, you know, uh, communists and creatives and me walking in and being given a marker to be told, hey, you know, your toilet is on the left. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, it was meant to be an attack on me. I found it really funny. So I contacted him on Instagram. I think it was, he was very new. It was his second or third cartoon. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I really like it. Can I buy it? And uh, he was surprised. He was like, what, really? I'm like, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. I want, and can you sign it? He's like, okay. So he sent it to me, signed it, and I have it framed over my desk now. The time that the uh, Australian and Johans leak, uh, you know, kind of came after me in a parody way, and I enjoyed it. I'm surprised as a avowed communist that you decided to uh, buy into something <laughs> in a capitalistic <laughs> way, but I guess, you know. True, yeah, true, true. First time for everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. I slipped up. Uh, Sam Maiden won mm-hmm. Scoop of the year for her Brittany Higgins story. Sam Maiden will be one of the people who is in the front running to get a big uh, Walkley Award, which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, Australia's top journalism awards uh, for that story. But she did kind of have a falling out with Brittany Higgins. That was like quite public. So it, it is interesting to see that she kind of keeps getting this scoop. Uh, she keeps getting awards for it. She won, I think, a Kennedy Award for it as well. But um... Well, yeah, there was a whole thing on Twitter where they had a fight and then Brittany Higgins kind of distanced herself from Sam Maiden. But then Brittany Higgins made, published, I think, an apology on Twitter as well. So it's all gone a bit 21st century Twitter spat. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but look, I mean, Sam Maiden's coverage of this story was one of the, probably one of the biggest stories of 2021 you know, outside of COVID-related issues. So um, kudos to her for continuing to get the credit for it. Indeed. And, of course, Sherry Markson mm-hmm. won the the top gong, the Sir Keith Murdoch Award for her reporting on COVID-19, including her interview with Donald Trump. Do you know, I was thinking something maybe we should do is, mm. like, we should almost do, like, a director's commentary episode for her one-hour COVID exactly special or something. Yes. <laughs> Some kind of like re- readers or, or I guess listeners kind of accompaniment that we can kind of talk people through it, I think. I think there's, there's, a, there's a rich vein to be tapped there. <laughs> well, definitely, because part of my... I also want to get my hands on the book now and read through mm. it because I've read some of the reviews and the, the criticisms and critiques that have come from a lot of corners is that the, you know, the scientific analysis is very lacking and some of the theories jump from plausible into straight into conspiracy um but also this is such a weird story because you know if you remember when it started um you know the idea that this was a lab leak was something that was only coming from the trump camp and Mm. now it's very mainstream so um yeah shay markson's kind of coverage on this uh you, it, it's hard to poo-poo it as much as I'd like to, given the fact that it's become so normalized because of, you know, the acceptance from other areas like Biden even, for example. Yeah, I, I mean, with all this stuff around the reporting of this, and this is actually just kind of a problem with like reporting in general, right, is that it's often very hard to tell whether something is like correct or, or or framed in a fair way or not mm-hmm. just based on what you get because the way the journalism works right is people get you know a journalist gets information from a bunch of places and then 
you know, decides to cut it down in a way and, and, and put it all together that tells a story. That's the most basic yes. way of doing that. But that by its nature means cutting out information, simplifying it, you know, getting rid of some of the noise and just keeping it to the signal. But the issue is that like, you know, when you, you read something um, that's done by someone, you don't know if it's, it's framed sometimes in a very, um, I guess, like in a way that, you know, maybe confirms their prior beliefs, maybe mm-hmm. in a way that's good for them and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I've seen um, some criticisms of Shari's reporting on this kind of stuff that seems to imply that um, not that she's a fabric, not that she makes things up, she doesn't fabricate things, but it has come at it in a very, um, I guess, kind of like almost like tabloidy or very kind of like, uh, uh, you know, way that makes things out to be bigger than Mm. they actually are. Like an example was there was this, she did a, uh, she reported on a a document that I think was like a a 2014 document made by someone who worked at a university in China talking about the potential to make bioweapons and and, and a, a, um, you know, as a way of kind of like, you know, international dominance and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And, you know, there's, there's someone who wrote this document, they work for a university, which means that they, you know, the way it is in China means that they, would have close links to the Chinese government. And that is like, oh, you're like, wow, that like sounds to be, you know, pretty, pretty like telling, you know, they're talking about this. But then I, I saw other people who um, reported on it following it, which is like, this is like almost like a fanfic made by like one lecturer mm-hmm. outside of his work, you know, has, has no like real basis. No one's ever kind of backed it up. Like he, he's essentially no one. Um, but then was like presenting the way of like being this like, you know, official document. So like, I, like I, I find it very hard to know what to think about her reporting sometimes, because I put it this way, like, you know, the, the stuff when, when I've seen it, um, you know, when I, when I've seen it critiqued by people who do dive into it often finds out that it's not that she's lying. It's not that she's wrong. It's just presented in a way that gives an impression that's, that's almost like misleading and dishonest that kind of confirms mm-hmm. her, her, this broader um, like a narrative, which she seems to be like saying that, you know, China uh, has had a really big role in creating the coronavirus in some way, you know, whether it was the idea of a bioweapon, which is, I think, pretty yes. um, fantastical, but more likely, you know, ha- like, it, it, like it could have potentially come out of a lab leak and then... The you know, gain-of-function lab exactly, leak. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and like, you know, everything that she reports on kind of feeds back to that. So I, I find it very hard to trust. Well, regardless, she's award-winning. Exactly, and um, yeah. whether you trust her or not, she's making space on her mantelpiece right now to put that prop, that award up there. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's just jealousy talking. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, I, you know, I feel I feel snubbed. I didn't even get shortlisted for the Sir Keith Murdoch Award. Um, so I have to pick mm. up my game for mm. next year. <laughs> and Sammy, a few weeks ago, we spoke about the News Corp's global third quarter earnings and mm-hmm. we've been pretty interested in, in how the the money works in this podcast one detail we mentioned but didn't speak about too much was their stock buyback yes and um, this week the australian financials reviews miriam robin asked where is the buyback you know in the month since the earnings they've spent just uh, just about 12 million dollars of the promised one billion dollars of buyback which means that you know essentially they haven't really done anything at all um now sammy <laughs> 
how well acquainted are you with the idea of stock buybacks? Well, I know the basic function behind it, which is that it's when the uh, company repurchases their own shares of stocks, right? And using, yep. especially when they have extra cash. Yep. And some of the reasons around it are just reinvestment in the company, uh, repurchasing of the shares allow, you know, a, a kind of a bit of undervaluation can also take place that way, boosting their own finance. Mm. And you, and just basically using cash um, that's lying around. It's, it's it's a good way of making sure that that cash doesn't just sit and, and yeah. go unused. But, it's burning a hole in your pocket. <laughs> exactly. And and they can only buy so many media content creation companies in, in Australia. <laughs> um, but why they're delaying it and everything, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what what's Miriam Robbins' thesis on why they are not doing the buyback that they that they said they would well when you're buying back stock you're i mean you're just like any you know joe random on the stock market buying it and so um you know you when you say i want to buy back stock that means you also might want to wait for a good time you know you say we're going to buy it at some point but um we don't we're not going to say when because Mm -hmm. you know okay like we've discussed before their stock's doing quite well on uh you know international stock markets and so you know, you don't want to buy it when it's at its most expensive. You want to buy it when it's lower. And so that means it's better for you. And, you know, my understanding of how the stock buybacks work is that, yeah, you've got this money and what you do is you buy the stock. And so essentially that that means that you're, you're almost like burning those stock in a way. Mm-hmm. Everyone else who owns stock, what they own becomes more valuable, you know, yes. because there's less stock in circulation. So, you know, like shareholders love it because it just means that, well, I don't have to do anything and my stock inherently becomes um, more valuable. There, there is a bit of a cr- criticism about it, which is that although, you know, in the short term, it boosts stock price because inherently something you've got is more scarce. The flip side is that you're not actually investing it in something like uh, R&D. You're not improving what you're doing. And so right. by by doing that, you know, you're having a short term like sugar hit, but you're really not actually improving the company in the long term. I, I think it is like, you know... <laughs> I, I'm not like super au fair with all this stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know it super well, but it, like it just it is, like I find it fascinating to hear about. Well, you know, as this big company who's got arms all over the world, and you know, I'm sure heaps of people are always saying I could use more money to do something. They've decided the best thing for their shareholders, for the people who own their company, is just to make them a little bit more rich. Okay, well, I'm glad they're getting more rich. That's basically, you know, good for them. Everyone deserves a Christmas present. And it's time now, of course, for Good News Corp, Bad News Corp, where we look at the best News Corp story of the week and the potentially worst News Corp story of the week. Um, and my Good News Corp this week is a, um, a editorial column in the Weekend Australian, published uh, last weekend, really, but uh, I just got on reading it now. It's by Helen Trinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and Helen Trinker, for those who don't know, is the deal editor and associate editor. And it is headlined, Why Do Men Feel the Need to Flaunt Their Junk? And it is, if you wanted to read a very long essay in The Australian about why men continue to send dick pics, particularly focused around Tim Payne and mm. his dick pic, but, you know, just dick pics overall. Yeah. And the word penis appearing many times in a column and penis pic and references to penis pictures and going all the way back to ancient Roman graffiti to, you know, Tim Payne's most recent uh, modern indulgence. It is, uh, it's a fun read. I'll give it that much. It's a fun read. There's some great lines in it. 
You might have individual concerns about the, what the behavior represents, but is it society's business? Well, yes, it is. And not just because the traffic in penis pics is all a bit unseemly, a bit low rent compared to the passion possibilities offered by sex or even the more prosaic versions of a long-term relationship. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's just fun, like bizarre <laughs> column like that. And, and I, I was surprised to have read it in the Weekend Australian. So credit to them for publishing that. Oh, that's good. I've found the, the Tim Payne thing to be like, I mean, like, I, I'm assuming we don't have all the details about mm-hmm. it, but like the, I, it, I mean, so we don't know why Cricket Australia investigated him sending uh, sexting and essentially like, you know, sexually harassing someone who it does seem like he had a kind of like, inappropriate relation with you know non almost like business relationship with them already but like mm-hmm. it seemed like he stepped over the line i just find it bizarre that like they went through this investigation they found that he you know had done no wrongdoing i mean i don't know what they considered but they found that but then they suspended him and now i think he stepped down from the team altogether yeah. when it became public like either you decide that it's okay or it's not but it shouldn't matter whether it goes public right well, that seems to be the big controversy around it as well. A lot of people have pointed out the um, the reaction from Cricket Australia seems to be a bit vague as to why they've done what they've done, forced his hand in the way that they did. And especially since the family, he and his family seem to have dealt with it ages ago. Mm. Um, it's not a recent thing. What I really like, though, is that this column has 500 and let's see, how many does it have right now? 573 comments. <laughs> it's and a conversation mo- starter and most of those comments are well women do it too <laughs> so... uh, come on alright not all men you know, right, yeah, you know that plague of women sending pictures and naughty bits to just everyone oh, on Instagram and Twitter yeah. and everything. I'm sick of it I'm inundated I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm about to get married I can't say that <laughs> hey on, on, on bad news call mm-hmm. I um, the one that struck my eye this week was a story by James Morrow, who is the Daily Telegraph's political editor. And I think political editor is an important part of this. Mm-hmm. He got a story, an exclusive, uh, about a um, Chinese naval ship near Australian waters that had been there for three weeks, apparently monitoring what was happening uh, on Australia's shores. So, you know, seen as a kind of, uh, a, you know, military kind of operation and seen as a, a rise in kind of, international tensions why i thought it was a bad news corp is to me it just stunk of this idea of a drop um sammy you know what a drop is right Mm -hmm. so a a drop is when a politician gives a kind of exclusive story on something to a a journalist and you know like sometimes uh i guess there are kind of arguments for it but we do see that like you know very often it's fairly common yeah it's fairly common, but I guess the idea is like very often politicians will uh, kind of create a very favorable relationship with a certain journalist who will write up their stories in a kind of uh, very positive way in return for these kinds of exclusive stories. And and why I found it interesting and why I'm calling this a bad story is because, so this story is mm-hmm. kind of like raising the temperature on Australian-Chinese relations. It was also to James uh, Morrow, who I don't know if you've read much of his writing, but I would say he's much closer to, I mean, like he's less worried about like war and more about like the culture wars, if you know yes, what I mean? Like, like right. he's, it's not like he's a well-sourced uh, person in intelligence and defense communities. No, it, it, I'm pretty certain he just got a drop from the uh, office of Peter Dunn, who the same day had a national press club address where he was also talking up tensions with China. And so to me, it was just like, it was such an example 
of like, you know, this manipulation of, of Australian discourse by, uh, you know, re- by government um, releasing favorable stories. And by favorable, I mean things that are trying to, you know, create the, the narrative they want at the at right times to people who write them up in, an, in, an, in a very like straightforward in the way that they want in order to kind of shift debate in a way that they want. Well, it just uh, there's a uh, Kevin Rudd's commentary around that uh, was also noteworthy in the uh, in the piece that you you know you posted because he he I think retweeted and said what a coincidence on the very day Dutton speaks at the press club Murdoch's front page is delivered screaming exclusive neither Murdoch nor Dutton intervened to stop Morrison over the port of Darwin sale to China um, it, it's it is one of those stories which uh, you know clearly Peter Dutton's been pushing a certain agenda, pushing a certain story uh, in the media, in the press very aggressively. And, per, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even going to say to distract from the fact that he just won a $350,000 thing against Shane Bazzi. It's just, you know, his role as defense minister, he feels, is very much focusing on China. I, and, I think it's an election thing. Like, I, I, yeah. I think it, it's pretty, like, obviously that this government is trying to make China relations a really uh, big part of this election. And, you know, we saw ScoMo have this weird comment calling, like, essentially implying that Albo was like a China sympathizer, which is, you know, you're getting into this real like McCarthyism. Like, yes, we know China is, um, you know, is, is a foreign nation that's been using its powers mm. in pretty dodgy ways. But the, the way to answer it isn't to try and, you know, make this into a like, political, domestic political issue. It's to have, you know, uh, like, you know, well thought out international relations and, and clever diplomacy. That's not what this is about. This, to me, just feels like they're ringing the racism bell to try and win an election. Well, let's see if it works. It's not like Daily Telegraph readers are the ones who need convincing anyway. They're, they're, <laughs> they're usually off one mind when it comes to these issues. So, yeah. So now we're joined by David Campbell, who is a senior researcher and journalist at RMIT ABC Fact Check, who wrote a exhaustive and very interesting, and I think it's sometimes challenging uh fact check about how big rupert murdoch and news corp's influence and reach is in australia and i wanted to to get him on to to bring him through all of it so david thank you very much for joining us oh you're welcome it's great to be here (laughs) so maybe first of all before we get into your really systemic look and working through an understanding of how big the news corp reach is did you see like a lot of different claims and, and what are the claims about how big the reach is? Yeah, well, uh, I suppose something to, to put out there first is a lot of the claims you see about uh, Murdoch and News Corp are around influence. And that is something that really is very, very hard to measure. So that's why we took a look at reach. And uh, really what we were interested in here was, you know, who is actually consuming uh, you know, news stories uh, produced by Murdoch's um, brands, various news brands. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think you'll see some people arguing that they have, a, you know, a monopoly on, on news, which is, um, I think, you know, overstating the case uh, by quite a long way. Um, but, yeah, realistically, like a lot of the claims are just around them being very dominant. And, you know, the data really, I think, shows that, they are certainly one of the biggest players uh, in the Australian media landscape, but saying exactly, you know, who, who is number one uh, is, is a bit of a tricky business. How do you measure something like this? 
Yeah, uh, with a bit of difficulty. Um, unfortunately, there's no sort of single. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will therapize about the uh, the fact check that I wrote, but it, yeah, like realistically, there's no one measure um, that sort of brings together all the various pieces uh, of the media landscape. Uh, so it is quite tricky to be able to, yeah, say you know, put a single figure on it. Um, um, so yeah, what we've looked at is, is reach, and what we're talking about is the number of individual people who are you know reached who consume media uh, and news media in particular. And the way we had to approach that is to look at uh, you know these this kind of fractured media landscape. So we're looking at newspapers, uh, and then you can look at news websites, and then awkwardly there are ways to measure newspapers and their websites, but not online only news sources <laughs> and, then you, and then you get into broadcast and it becomes quite difficult to compare uh say you know free-to-air tv with uh subscription tv which is where you see sky news australia operating uh and then you have you know radio and then of course social media is a whole different beast again and you have all the various platforms there so yeah really when you're talking about you know, measuring uh the reach of uh, news corp um, you're talking about their reach within these distinct, well, sometimes distinct, sometimes overlapping categories of media. What about the different arms? You, you just went through it just then about the yeah. different mediums that they're in as well. Does Is the kind of um, print journalism and I guess the digital uh, text journalism that's associated with it, is that still really the heart of News Corp in Australia? Yeah, that's a tricky question. They, I mean, it is certainly like that. I think is where they, uh, like in print, you know, they absolutely dominate. Uh, and when it comes to online, you know, they they are a big fish, and so there's a there's more competition there. But then, yeah, when you're moving into sort of pure online and into social media, I think that's really where they are killing it at the moment. Um, so. Again, it's difficult to say exactly kind of what the what the influence might be that results from the reach, but on social media, YouTube and Facebook, um, you know, Sky News is uh, reaching millions and millions of people. And one of the difficulties that I'm sure you came across, or I know that you did, is of course when you look at stuff like Sky News and, and digital, uh, you know, social media metrics. That's mm. also not even limited to influence in Australia because those audiences by their nature are international and usually when people are talking about the influence and reach of a company they they tend to still think pretty domestic whereas these are, are not yeah that's right you can't just like draw a neat border around Australia when you're talking about uh yeah the audience when you know on social media uh and yeah so looking at YouTube I mean they've got you know hundreds of millions of views every month and yeah there's, there's like it's very difficult for us to say where those views are coming from. There was reporting to show that uh, about a third of News Corp's website traffic was coming from overseas. Uh, so obviously it's slightly different to, to YouTube and, and to Facebook, but I think that does indicate that they've got a reach that's far beyond Australia. And yeah, there's going to be a big chunk of people coming from overseas. And I mean, I actually revisited um, before this interview, I went back and had a look at the YouTube statistics uh, to see where they're at now. And in the last nine months, Sky has actually doubled the number of views that it gets 
each Ooh. month. So it was actually already sitting at, so I looked at this in March and it was sitting at 760 million views a month, which was about 260 million more than the ABC. The numbers now is 1.3 billion, Ooh. which <laughs> kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, to me, that speaks to uh, a bigger audience than Australia alone, but obviously, you know, we don't know how many people are watching videos more than once, that sort of thing. And maybe there's a sort of level of intensity when you get into a certain crowd. I, I don't know. But yeah, they are some big, big numbers. Yeah, that, that was the thing that actually was surprising me recently, which is uh, you reference in your piece something that I wrote about a year ago, um, yeah. which was about Sky News Australia. And I was saying they've made this digital trans transformation and... Um, you know, to, I guess I'm going to pat it myself on the back. Like, you know, I was, I was like one of the, I think I was one of the f first people to really notice that this was happening. Yeah. Um, and it's a year since that that's happened. And it feels crazy because this whole awareness of it has really grown. You know, there's been heaps, heaps more reporting like other than me and, and more attention that's kind of happened since then, but they've continued this incredible growth. Uh, like it wasn't like they plateaued. They're like even bigger. And it, 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 I, at the time, I wouldn't have imagined that. But it, I guess that's that just speaks to, I guess, their ability to perfect what they're doing and to reach new audiences. And I guess the the enormous possible audiences out there when your audience truly is global. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and if you just look at the chart, it's just going up and up and up, which is not the case with uh, you know with some of the other local news outlets and if you're looking yeah specifically at youtube you know it's not that say channel seven channel nine aren't going up but they, they are just not even in the same ballpark mm, yeah was was there anything that really surprised you when you were pulling this all together um that's a good question <laughs> i'm asking you to throw your mind back in four months now <laughs> yeah um Look, I, I, I suppose I, I wasn't, I wasn't hugely surprised by what I was seeing with the yeah with with newspapers um, and perhaps with even with news websites. But so when we were talking about so we're talking particularly about Sky News before and social media, and so you know I was I was aware of yes your reporting <laughs> um, showing just how big their numbers were there. I think what surprised me, if it was actually then going back to broadcast and seeing, uh, you know, relatively speaking, that Sky News, you know, didn't have the biggest audience. You know, mm -hmm. that the, their reach is is so outsized on social media compared to what they're putting out on uh, their their TV network. So yeah, I found that fascinating because I mean, really. Like if you look, I guess the issue with with broadcasts is that you're competing with you know free to air news as well. And so if you look at some studies like uh, Canberra University puts out its uh, annual digital news report, uh, they were looking at you know where where people get their news from, and they found that I think it was 12% of news consumers got their news from Sky News. But then if you look at you know Channel Nine and Seven. It's like 38%. ABC TV is 33%. I mean, this is purely talking broadcast, you know, so obviously there's, there's more to it. But then, yeah, like they're, they're absolutely dwarfed there. So, yeah, I, I, I suppose the disparity was the real thing that, that shocked me. Yeah, that's something that I am 
kind of surprised by is just how much traditional media still has an enormous audience because you know when people are talking about digital media they're talking about the potential of like you know something going viral and getting millions and millions of views and that's that's really exciting but i think that like almost like the excitement of that takes away from the fact that like you know broadcast traditional media like the 7 p.m news still racks up like consistently like you know hundreds yeah. and hundreds of thousands of, of viewers every single night like it, it may it, like you know it might be declining i think slightly and it may not be as buzzy but like it, it's almost like it doesn't get the attention because it's it's not as new and shiny as social media but yeah. it, it, it is still enormous and particularly that's like you know comparing terrestrial television so you, you know free to air to uh, pay television which remains you know still pretty niche yeah yeah exactly yeah and yeah you're you're absolutely right like tv still you know tops the the list um when you're looking at where people get their news from like i guess it's become you know that's normal (laughs) and so and so when you're comparing it yeah to the new thing like everything else sort of seems shocking and 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 big but then uh i mean social media really has like jumped a long way though i mean there are 50 percent of people now getting at least some of their news from social media and i think 20 percent of of people use it as their main source of news um so i suppose there is there is a story there um a a big story but yeah there's still 60 odd percent 50 odd percent of people who are getting their news from television every night so yeah don't don't forget uh i guess the sort of the basics (laughs) <laughs> David, gun to your head. And I know that you're going to hate this. What's, what's your favourite? Uh, yeah, well, what, yeah. <laughs> uh, just try to pick just one. Um, no, no, I want to I ask, you know, based on this, and I know you just looked at, at News Corp uh, specifically, but I'm sure you took other stuff in as well. Is News Corp the Australian media company with the most reach? Yeah, I can't. I guess I, I can't give you... A definitive answer. Classic fact checking move. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, I can give you a couple of stats, you know, say from newspapers and from news websites. Um, so if you look at news websites, uh, you know, as far as individual individual websites, the ABC uh, when we looked, this was in sort of December twenty twenty, the ABC pulled in a little over eleven million um, users per month. Nine.com today you had 10.7 million and news.com today you had 10 million and that's News Corp's you know number one performer when it comes to news websites and if you look at the overall reach for the companies Nine Entertainment has 13 odd million per month News has 12 and a bit and the ABC has a bit over 11 so it's not you know they're not miles ahead they're sort of sitting sitting in the middle there mm-hmm. uh, amongst the big players. But of course, there's still an offline audience component to that 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 doesn't consider. Um, so when you're looking at newspapers, uh, the yeah the print audience that you get for News Corp is about 2.6 million readers per week on average, and that compares to 1.2 million for Nine Entertainment's three newspapers, so the Age, Sydney Morning Herald, and the Financial Review. So it's actually they have more than double the the weekly reach. You know when you're looking at the big, mm. the national and um, you know, capital city dailies. So, you know, you need to be able to somehow put those numbers together really to get a sense of who comes out on top. And then, of course, when you get into broadcast, uh, Channel 9, Channel 7 are big players there along with ABC. And so, 
even if News Corp was ahead, you might, I, w- I would expect they would fall behind there in terms of total reach. So, you know, who, who can say? I, I suppose <laughs> it depends on which area you want to look yeah. at. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose what you, which areas you might give more importance. And I think that that is like a bit of a tricky space. Um, and there are, there are some good arguments in there. I mean, Kevin Rudd has argued that, you know, if you dominate in print, then that's kind of, that's the ball game uh, because so many stories, you know, whether they're broadcast, whether they're online, they start in print. And, you know, that's an argument that, you know, I, I can't sort of give you an answer to like being right or not, but, you know, there's a lot to consider. And also I think the, um, you have other academics, I think Rod Tiffin, is one of them who makes this point that it's the way that you use all the different aspects of your company. And so he makes the argument that, you know, there's if a if a story is picked up in one arm of the company, you know, on TV, that can be repeated through, you know, a column, that can be picked up on social media, and all those things work together to amplify the message. So, you know, it's it's how you use it, I guess. It's, it's the argument I'm making there. So in terms of fact-checking it, the answer is there's something in there for everyone. Hey, that's you... right. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of words in there. Uh, so I encourage you to read it. No, I, I, I do highly recommend it as well. And I, I do think it is kind of, you know, it, it's important to just to make it as clear as, you know, you can talk about literally how many eyeballs people are reaching. And then even that is kind of, you know, murky and through different senses. Yeah. But then beyond that, it, it, you know, uh, it's it's how News Corp and other other media companies use it and coordinate. And um, yeah, I guess it's it's not the size, but it's how you use it. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on a T-shirt. But yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I guess in the end, there's like, there's a sort of qualitative aspect that is that is hard to to quantify yeah and and i suppose that you know it depends on your view of these different companies um as to whether or not you know if they're all equal but one of them you think is you know not using its influence fairly um then you're going to have more of a problem with that so i think that you know you bring in these various other arguments that go beyond the numbers which are you know all interesting but things that are a a bit harder for a fact checker to cover Indeed. Well, David, thank you so much for bringing some facts to the debate, which I think can often end up being, you know, quite emotional and f- for good reason. But it's nice to be able to say, well, at least we can understand these things. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Uh, and use that to kind of guide discussion. So I'm very grateful. Thank you so much for your time, David. No, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. That was David Campbell from ABC RMIT Fact Check. Uh, he's a senior researcher and journalist there who was um, very kind with his time to, to talk us through quite a complicated thing. All right, that is us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere. And you can join our podcast group on Facebook at Murdocracy Podcast. And a reminder, uh, we have a Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Murdocracy. And thank you, of course, to Natalie Sikolovska, our producer, Kevin McLeod for the theme music, the ABC for the recordings from the archive, Rubinus for our artwork. And, of course, thank you to you, Cam. Thank you, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs>